You are listening to the podcast of New Life Church in Wayland, Michigan. Our longing is to see zero people in our community living unchanged by Jesus. We are a church navigating the messiness of life together in community. One of our core convictions is that everyone is welcome, no one is perfect, and anything is possible. I hope you know there is a place in the family for you here. For more information on gathering times and location, check out our website. But for now, I hope God speaks powerfully to you through this word. Thank you so much, Brad. Uh, Man, it's so good to be with you guys again. And uh, just every time I'm here, I'm just blown away at how you guys are incredibly blessed. You know that? Uh, God is moving here in this community just through the staff. I mean, Brad and Sam and Trent and Trish and uh, Josh and Olivia. I mean, I'm just blown away at how God is moving. Every time I'm here, something is new. There's like now there's like this platform here and then, uh, you know, the essential store started and new people in the community are coming and being reached. And so it's just I, I get excited every time I get to come here and be with you guys. And so um, this morning, what we're doing at all the Zero Collective churches, all four uh, churches are working our way through our vision together. And our vision simply stated in this series, um, uh, we stated as we are not done, as a church, we are not done until there are zero lives living unchanged by Jesus. That's what we're about. And so this series, uh, we're looking at the book of Acts, we're looking at five different conversion stories in in the book of Acts. So these are five different lives that were changed by Jesus. And so uh, whether you're joining us just online or here in the room, what we're doing with this series is we are looking every week at each one of these stories through the lens of one of our zeros. Um, These marks of discipleship, these things that we believe just happen in our lives and in our church when we embrace the gospel. And so today we're going to be in Acts chapter 10. That's where we're going to be. So if you want to turn um, in your Bible or in your Bible app or whatever, and we're going to look at this life change story of Cornelius in Acts 10, and we're going to be talking through the lens of zero lost people. One of the things we just believe happens when the church is on mission is we are driving towards seeing zero lost people in Wayland, in in our communities that we live in. Um, Most people don't realize this, but Jesus, at the beginning of of the gospel stories, when Jesus goes to call his disciples, Jesus does not say, come follow me. That's not what he says. Uh, he goes on to the shore of Galilee. His, his first disciples he called were fishermen. And what he actually says to them as he says, come follow me and I will make you fishers of people. Do you, do you remember that? Do you remember that story? Similarly, at the end of Jesus' life, uh, at, in what we call the Great Commission, and Jesus has resurrected from the grave, he gathers his disciples together in his final uh, you know, charge to the church. He does not say, go into all the world and be disciples. That's not what he says. What he says is, go into all the world and what? Make disciples. That's right. That's what he says. Go into the world and make disciples. And so the point with this is that it's actually not an option to be like a secret follower of Jesus. Jesus himself does not give us that category. He doesn't give us that box or that option. Now, that's actually really different than anybody else in our world. I can actually be a secret follower of anybody else in this world, and they're going to be completely fine with that. Uh, How many of you know who this is right here? Who's this? It's the Biebs. Somebody said it. It's Justin Bieber. Okay, here's the thing. If I want to be a secret follower of Justin Bieber as a 44-year-old man, I can do that. I can secretly, you know, stream his music. I I can become a part of his fan club using a fake email I can put a a giant poster of him up in my bedroom and no one will see it. It really annoys my wife, but there it is. 
And, and I can be a secret follower, and, and like pu- publicly I can completely deny I'm a fan of Justin Bieber. And you know what? Justin Bieber is going to be just fine with that. He's fine with that. As long as the money keeps rolling in, he's got no problem with that. But, but for Jesus, Jesus actually did not leave us that option. What Jesus actually says is, if you're ashamed before people, I will be ashamed before my Father in heaven of you. If you're ashamed of me before people, I'll be ashamed of my Father in heaven before, uh, you know, about you. Jesus literally doesn't leave us this option to be like a secret follower of his. And so, therefore, the, the principle that we're going to be looking at in the story of Cornelius this morning is this idea that we are called to both live our faith and share our faith. We're called to live our faith. We're called to put our faith in Jesus and our trust in him, and we're called to follow him. Jesus said, come follow me, but we are also called to share our faith. He said, and I will make you fishers of people. And so today, that's what, that's what we're looking at. Well, we're looking at how do we do that? How do we actually live in to sharing our faith? And so I'm going to give you a little bit of background. In Acts chapter 10, where we're about to go, if you look at the first nine chapters of the book of Acts, nobody is getting saved except Jewish people. That's it. The only people getting saved are people who are part of the Jewish faith, part of the Jewish community. The, the church gets started in Acts chapter 2 at Pentecost when the Holy Spirit comes, and it's right in this area of Judea. By the time we get to Acts chapter 10, uh, nobody but Jewish people are getting saved. And so Cornelius is actually considered the first Gentile convert to Christianity. He's the first person who is non-Jewish, who is outside the Jewish faith, coming to Christ. So when Jesus says, you'll be my witnesses in uh, Judea, Samaria, and to the ends of the earth, this is part of the move of God to see all people come into a faith uh, with Jesus. So let's jump in. This is verse 1 of Acts 10. It says this, In Caesarea there lived a Roman army officer named Cornelius, who was a captain of the Italian regiment. He was a devout, God-fearing man, as was everyone in his household. He gave generously to the poor and prayed regularly to God. One afternoon, about three o'clock, he had a vision in which he saw an angel of God coming toward him. Cornelius, the angel said. Cornelius stared at him in terror. What is it, sir? He asked the angel. And the angel replied, your prayers and gifts to the poor have been received by God as an offering. Now send some men to Joppa and summon a man named Simon Peter. He is staying with Simon, a tanner who lives near the seashore. As soon as the angel was gone, Cornelius called two of his household servants and a devout soldier, one of his personal attendants. He told them what had happened, and he sent them off to Joppa. Okay, so if we could, let's just take a moment. Let's just talk about Cornelius. So it gives us, the text gives us a really clear picture of Cornelius and who he is. And so the first thing we learn about Cornelius is he's a really good dude. Cornelius is, is a really good guy. What it, what it tells us is that he is a Roman centurion. Now, Roman centurion, this means he was a Gentile soldier. A centurion means a hundred, so a part of the Italian regiment. He's a Roman soldier who's over a, a company of a hundred other soldiers. And they were occupying the land at this time. Now, we say, well, that isn't very good. But look at what else the text tells us. It tells us he was a devout man who was a God-fearer. The actual term for this was called proselyte. He was a proselyte. He was a God-fearer. These were Gentile people who came to believe in the God of Israel and they didn't fully join the Jewish faith. They didn't get circumcised. They didn't, you know, follow all the Jewish ceremonial law. But they basically believed in God. So he, he believes in God. And the next thing it tells us is that his entire household followed him. So this would have meant he had gotten rid of all his household idols. 
that Greco-Roman people would have had at this time. He got rid of all the household idols, and he was leading his family, all of them, to fear God, to actually believe in the God of Israel. Not only that, it tells us he was a giver. It says he gave generously to the poor. He cared about the poor, and he gave generously to them. How many Christians can you say that about, really? It also tells us he had a prayer life. He was somebody who had a daily rhythm of praying. That's how this angel appears to him, is he's in prayer. And so he had this rhythm, this regular time of prayer with God. So the question then is, what was he missing? What was, what was Cornelius missing? You look at his life, he was such a good guy, he's following God, he's doing everything he knows to honor God. What is the story trying to show us? And if, as we read the text, you're going to see, according to this story, what he was missing was that he needed to come to a place where he repented of his sin, put his faith in Jesus, and got baptized. That's what he needed, to repent of his sin, to accept Jesus as his Lord and Savior, and to get baptized. In other words, his goodness, all his good deeds, all the good things that he was doing and trying to be were not enough. His goodness was not enough. What we're told in Isaiah 64, verse 6 in the Old Testament, it says that all our righteous acts, all our good deeds, all our best efforts to be good are nothing but filthy rags to God. The imagery, I even hesitate to tell you this, but like the imagery that's actually being used there is of filthy rags is actually like dirty menstrual cloths. That's what it actually is referring to. So all our best efforts to be good, all our righteous acts are basically nothing more than filthy rags is what the text says. Uh, to understand this, you know, to kind of help illustrate this, this past year, it was actually the day before Mother's Day, um, my wife Carrie and I, were, we were getting ready, it was Saturday morning, we're getting ready to leave the house to go to our son Andrew's track meet. Now, if anybody's ever been to a track meet, a high school track meet, you know those things just last for hours upon hours, right? And so uh, we're getting ready to go and we're going to leave our other boys at home. And so uh, um, basically it's the day before Mother's Day and what I had communicated to my boys, I said, listen, it's your guy's job to make sure you have a present for your mother on Mother's Day. Right? She's not my mother. She's your mother. You need to be ready. You need to have a, a present for her. So as of Saturday morning, all of our boys had gotten their mother a present for Mother's Day except for one. Our 15-year-old son, Aaron, still had no present for his mom. And uh, he is on the autism spectrum, and so he is very literal. He takes everything literal. So what's happening? We're standing there. We're about to walk out the door to go to this track meet, Carrie and I. And Carrie stands there in the, in the kitchen and she looks around and she just says, out of the blue, she just said, you know, I would really love to paint this kitchen someday. I'd, lo I'd love to paint it a different color. And then she just walked out the door. And so we turn, we walk out the door, and our son Aaron, who's sitting there, he says to himself, I know what to get my mom for Mother's Day. So the, for the next few hours while we are gone, what Aaron does is he goes downstairs and he finds a can of paint just a can that we had in the basement. He grabs a paintbrush. He goes upstairs and he just begins to go to town. He just begins to paint the walls. He's going to paint the kitchen for his mom for her Mother's Day present. That's what he's going to do. And we were, we were gone for several hours and so he got pretty far. He made some serious progress in this uh, little endeavor. And so what happens is uh, the door opens. Carrie and I come home from this track meet and when we walk into our kitchen, there is Aaron's paint job. He's standing there with the bucket of paint 
uh, and, you know, the paintbrush in his hand. And he's kind of like, ta-da, happy Mother's Day. And he, he was expecting a, a certain reaction from us. He was expecting, I don't know, like joy or wow, that, that's so great, buddy. But instead, uh, Carrie and I stood there and we looked and we, we saw the paint dripping down our walls onto our trim, onto our floor, onto our cabinets and our countertops. In fact, I have a, a, one picture. I'm just going to show you one picture. Um, yeah, it's just everywhere. He's just gotten it. He's all over himself. And he's, he's so happy. Look what I did for you. And in that moment, he did not get the reaction he expected. I'm kind of embarrassed to tell you, we did not react well in that moment. Carrie and I, we basically, we freaked out. I wish I had that moment over again. We freaked out and we were like, oh no. And so we run, we grab towels and we're like, we got to hurry, get it before it dries. We're trying to wipe the paint, you know, off the trim, off the flooring, off the countertops. We're trying to, you know, salvage the cabinets. And he's just kind of standing there like, what, what's going on? That, that to me is a picture of what it means to be lost, right? When it, when it comes to God, when it comes to our relationship with God, a lot of times what we think is, um, you know, it's like when we think of what does it mean to be a lost person, we immediately in our minds, we go to like this extreme, like horrible bad person, right? Like we think, oh, you know, a lost person, that's like Adolf Hitler or something like really extreme like that. But actually what the Bible tells us is it's not just our, our bad things that make us lost. It's actually our good things too, our best efforts. What we're doing is we're painting away. We're just painting away for God. We're making this beautiful thing, and we have no idea what a mess we're making. We have, we have no idea how broken and sinful we actually are to a holy God. We have no idea how broken and, and damaged our world is. And, and so we have no idea how we're actually coming across to God. And that's actually what it, what it means to be lost. It's not just our, our bad things. It's, it's our good things. Our best efforts oftentimes are, are also what, what, what cause us to be separated from God and lost. Now, now you hear that and you say, well, that's kind of mean. I mean, isn't, you know, can't God just kind of look at our heart and look at our intentions and just kind of forgive us? And here's the thing, like with Aaron, our son, we love him so much there's nothing he could ever do, you know, that would make us not love him in terms of like, you know, his, the paint and all that kind of stuff. We, in fact, uh, when we calmed down, <laughs> we kind of came back to him. We said, hey, buddy, see what you were trying to do. I see your heart. I see, see what you're trying to do. And we still loved him. And, and that's how God feels about us. No matter how broken we are, no matter how, how sinful we are, uh, no matter what we're doing, he always loves us like a father does his children. But here's the thing, we couldn't just accept our flooring and our trim and our cabinets and our, and our countertops and our walls the way, they, the way they were. We live in this house too. We couldn't just accept those things the way they were. Somebody, at the expense of their own time and their own money, had to come to our house and had to help us you know, paint over all of that and clean up all of the trim and all the countertops and all that stuff. It was our friend Mandy who actually came and did that with us. And that's a picture of what Jesus did. God, because he loved us so much, Jesus actually enters into the human story. He becomes a, a person. He, come, he becomes a human being and he enters in and by his blood on, shed for us on the cross, he covers over all of our sin, covers over all of our brokenness, covers over even our good things, our best efforts. 
He covers over those things so that we can be made right with God. When we put our faith and our trust in Jesus, that's the gospel message. We are restored in our relationship with God. That there's nothing between us anymore. That when, he, when God looks at us, he doesn't see our good efforts. He doesn't see our mistakes. He sees Christ and his sacrifice for us on the cross. That's what Cornelius needed. It, the, the gospel message, when you really understand it, it's like it offends you and it draws you close at the same time. It, it feels like it punches you in the gut and then it hugs you. And if you're not feeling both of those things, you may not be fully understanding the gospel message. It's this message that even your best efforts, you know, it's just punching the gut. That even that is not going to be good enough. And yet God loved you so much that he, he didn't give up on you. He pursued you in the person of Jesus, and he is desperate to be in relationship with you through a relationship with, with Christ. This is what Cornelius needed to hear. It's the missing piece of his life. It's the missing piece of our world, I would say, today. So let's look at what happens next. Verse 9 says this, The next day, as Cornelius's messengers were nearing the town, Peter went up on the flat roof to pray. It was about noon, and he was hungry. But while a meal was being prepared, he fell into a trance. He saw the sky open, and something like a large sheet was let down by its four corners. In the sheet were all sorts of animals, reptiles, and birds. Then a voice said to him, Get up, Peter, kill and eat them. No, Lord, Peter declared, I have never eaten anything that our Jewish laws have declared impure and unclean. But the voice spoke again, do not call something unclean if God has made it clean. The same vision was repeated three times. Then the sheet was suddenly pulled up to heaven. So, I mean, let's just acknowledge, this is just a weird passage of Scripture, isn't it? So, it's just a weird story. So, we, we talked about Cornelius a minute ago. Let's take a moment, let's just talk about Peter. The text tells us that Peter is, he's a really good dude, too. He's a really good guy. It tells us that he actually is a devout Jew. So, in this uh, you know, vision that he has with the sheet being lowered down, those animals, reptiles and birds and everything that are on that sheet, those were unclean animals. If you were a devout Jewish person, you would never want to eat those things. So he's faithful to God. He's sincere in his faith, and he's like, man, I would never touch that stuff. It also tells us that he has this prayer life. Just like Cornelius, he goes up on the roof to pray at noon every single day. He has this regular rhythm of prayer with God. And then the other thing it tells us is that he knows the gospel. Peter was one of those disciples who Jesus called. He was a fisherman. He, he traveled with Jesus for three years, and he was there when Jesus was crucified. He witnessed Jesus rising from the grave, and he was, he was basically there at the birth of the church at Pentecost, and he was a part of this Jewish community that was coming to know Jesus and seeing all these people be converted. Okay, okay. I'm going to keep going. I'll try to be loud. Okay, good. Thank you. So what was he missing? Cornelius was missing an understanding of who Jesus was. What was Peter missing? What Peter was missing is that he needed God to expand his vision of who needed the gospel around him. He needed God to expand his vision of the people who God loved and who wanted to a restored relationship with, that he were all around him. 
that he was completely just not seen every day. That's what was missing in Peter's life. That's what the sheet was all about. So I'll give you kind of a, a summary of what happens next in the story. What happens next is Peter comes down from the roof and he's like, man, that was crazy. These three guys show up from Cornelius' house and they're like, hey, Peter, you're I think you're supposed to come with us. And he says, yeah, I think I am supposed to come with you. I just had a vision. And so they all leave and they go to Caesarea. They go to the home of Cornelius. And Peter realizes that God is sending him to preach the gospel to a bunch of unclean Gentiles. So literally, he goes into a Gentile's house. Now, you would never do that. As a, as a good Jewish, a devout Jewish person, you would never go into a Gentile's house. Peter goes in, and they begin to talk about, man, isn't it weird how God spoke to you and you, and you got you know, this vision to come here? And yeah, isn't it weird that God sent you to come get me? And so finally, Cornelius just says to Peter, so what did God send you to tell us? <laughs> what are we supposed to know? What, what, what is the message that we're supposed to hear? Verse 34 then Peter replied, I see very clearly that God shows no favoritism. In every nation, he accepts those who fear him and do what is right. This is the message of the gospel for the people of Israel, that there is peace with God through Jesus Christ, who is Lord of all. So he gives them this message that the missing peace, that your, your goodness isn't enough, you need Jesus, who is the sacrifice for your sins, He's the covering for your terrible paint job. He's Lord. He's Lord of your life. And when you put your faith and your trust in him, that he is the one who actually saves us. He's the one that actually carries the burden of our lives. He's the one that directs us. And so what happens next is the Gentiles, all of them in this house, they all get saved. And then they all get filled with the Holy Spirit, just like on the day of Pentecost. And then they all get baptized. Literally all of them in a house, they all gather together and they're, they're baptized all in this, this one moment. It's this beautiful story of God's redemption breaking out of the boxes of, our, of the world at that time and continuing to pursue people who are far from him. So what do we make of this story? As, as we just kind of turn the story toward ourselves a little bit at New Life and we say, what does this story have to say to us here in Wayland today? I would tell you, I think there's two groups of people, whether you're watching online or whether you're in here in the room, there's two groups of people that I see as we look at this text. The first one, I think there's some of you here, you're like Cornelius. You have been going to church. In fact, maybe you're here in church because you feel bad when you sin and you feel like, man, I should get my butt to church. Maybe you did something last night and you're like, yeah, I just need to get to church. And so you're trying to be good. You're, you're trying to, you know, pray you're, you're trying to do good things and give, but the missing piece, the thing you're missing is Jesus, is Jesus, that God is not looking at you saying, if you would just try harder, if you just get the paint job a little bit better, what God is actually saying to you is, is that you and your, in your best efforts and your good deeds, you could never do enough to reconcile yourself and what you need to do is you need to humble yourself, you need to ask Jesus to be Lord of your life, and you need to enter into an abiding relationship with him where he actually is the one that carries the burden. We cast our cares upon him. Jesus said, come to me if you're thirsty, and I'll give you living water. He said, come to me if you're weary and heavy laden, and I'll give you rest. That in him, 
When we put our faith and our trust in him, he saves us. He's the one that does the work. Some of you, that's your next step. That's what you need to do. And, and maybe God has been working in this community through this church and through others here, even in this room, to help you step into that relationship and you come to a place of understanding that. That's the first group of people. Second group of people here, I think, are maybe some of you are like Peter. You know the gospel. You, you, you have an abiding relationship with Jesus. What's missing in your life is you need God to expand your vision for a person in your world, a person in your life who needs Jesus. There's somebody in your life who is close to you, but who is far from God. And God loves them, and he wants to pursue them through you. You know what I love about this story? The story is all these visions, right? God keeps, you know, he speaks to Cornelius, and an angel appears, and then there's this vision, God speaks to Peter. Why didn't God just appear to Cornelius and say, here's the deal, I'm the angel, let me just tell you, there's this guy named Jesus, and you need to accept him. Why didn't he do that? Clearly, he can do that, right? He appears. What God does is, though, he, he appears to Peter. He sends a human being to another human being. He sends one person to another person to actually hear the gospel through another person's story, through another person's life. That's how the church spreads the gospel. That's how people come to know about Jesus. We're called to live our faith, absolutely, but we're also called to share our faith as people. Jesus didn't just say, come follow me. He said, come follow me, and I will make you fishers of people. So as we think about uh, sharing our faith, there are three arguments I hear. Every time we talk about uh, sharing your faith, and we, every time we've talked about zero lost people, at any, at any churches of, in the Zero Collective, any time this comes up, there's like three yeah buts that I always hear. Three things that people will argue, kind of push back and go, yeah, okay, but. So I just want to talk about those really quickly. Here's the first one. We'll say, yeah, but, you know, I try to witness with my actions, not my words. There's this old quote that people lo love to quote. It's, I think it's from Francis of, of Assisi. It said, preach the gospel at all times, and if necessary, use words. You ever heard that? Uh, you ever heard that quote? Now, absolutely, that's true. We should be, just by our lifestyle, we should be you know, exemplifying Christ. That's true. But I want to point out in this story, nothing changed for Cornelius the centurion until someone showed up at his house and he actually heard the gospel. He needed to actually hear it. Someone actually had to go actually speak it to him. Nothing changed in his life until he heard it. Paul says in Romans, he says, how can people believe in the one uh, Jesus Unless someone hear, unless they actually hear the gospel. And how can they hear the gospel unless someone preaches it to them? And how can someone preach it to them unless they are sent? God wants to send us, and he wants us to speak it. The second yeah, but that I always hear, kind of like the second, well, you know, like argument is, you know, it's okay to be a Christian, just don't try to convert people. This one is really popular right now. This is, this is something I, I hear a lot. We'll say, you know, there's nothing wrong with being a Christian, nothing wrong with you personally having it, just don't try to convert people. And a lot of the reason for this is if you look at our world right now, Christianity is no longer viewed as like a good influence in like secular society, in, in individuals' lives or in society. Christianity is no longer looked at as a good influence. Now, 30, 40, 50 years ago, that was not the case. In the West... In, in general, in America, we, Christianity was kind of viewed as like, basically, it's a good influence. 
But because of the brokenness and the sin of Christian leaders, because of some of the things that have happened over the last several years, as our society has, has become um, more and more secular, even, you know, there's particular anger over like the traditional Christian view of sexuality and some of those things. Now, most people will say, you know, the church is not a good influence. And so a lot of times there's this idea that, you know, uh, it's okay to be a Christian, but like the general uh, view is like, just don't try to convert people. Tolerance is the highest value, and the only thing we will not tolerate is intolerance. So just, just don't try to convert people. Here's what I want to say to that. To say, don't, you know, whatever you do, don't push your religious views on me is to push your religious views on another person. Did you see the logic of that? To say, uh, it's okay to be a Christian, just don't try to convert me. It's, it's not okay to push your religious absolute truth views on others. That, just saying that is to push your religious <laughs> absolute truth views on me. Do you get that? So, so that's what, so my point is this, we're all doing that. We're all sharing our views my goodness, everybody shares their view on everything these, these days in every way imaginable. So don't, don't buy into this idea that we're not supposed to share our faith, that, that like being a good Christian is just being quiet. There is no such thing as a secret follower of Jesus. You can be a secret follower of Justin Bieber. Jesus did not leave that option. We're called to live our faith and we're called to share our faith with others. So those two are, are like arguments we'll hear a lot of times about sharing our faith, but this third one is the one I hear the most. I think this is the one that most of us really struggle with. The third one is just, but what if I mess it up? What if, what if I mess it up? What if I try to share my faith and I, what if I don't get the Bible right? What if I say it wrong? Or what if I am actually the reason why somebody walks away from God? What if me trying to share my faith is actually like it actually offends someone, and, and sometimes we think this about our own kids, right? Like I would, I don't want to talk to my kids about faith. Is what if I'm the reason that they turn uh, and walk away from God? And we feel just so unequipped to do this, so, so much fear. I think a lot of times that we're going to mess it up somehow. So what I want to encourage you with this morning is, you can't mess it up. You can't mess it up. I love this um, quote. It was one of my favorite songs right now. Is the song Gyra. It's a worship song by a Maverick City uh, worship. And there's this line, and they say, I wasn't holding you up, so there's nothing I can do to let you down. We're not the ones that it all rests on. We're not called to be successful. We're, like Mother Teresa said, we're just called to be faithful. And a lot of times, we worry about so much that we're going to mess it up. When I was 18 years old, uh, I worked for a demolition crew. I didn't have the, the skill set to be a construction worker, so uh, I literally joined into a, a, a demolition crew. I had the, basically, I had a sledgehammer, and we were just ripping this. There was this old house that was being like gutted, and then um, there was some additions being made. So I, I started working for this master builder. I had the correct qualifications. I had a strong back and a weak mind. And so all I had to do was just use a sledgehammer and tear out walls, tear out flooring, and I remember getting in there, and there was at one point I would like hit a wall, and I, I remember I tore out this whole section of wall that I wasn't supposed to. And I was so scared, unlike my son Aaron, like I knew I had messed up. I knew I'd made this huge mistake. And so I'm working for this master builder. His name was Mr. Sadowl. And I was terrified of like telling this guy about how I'd messed up and ripped out this piece of the wall. 
And I'll never forget what he said to me. He said to me, Brian, when, when he found out what I'd done, he said, I was like, man, I'm so sorry. I'll, I'll pay for it. You can take it out of my paycheck. And he said, Brian, there is nothing you could break that I can't fix in this house. He said, in fact, if you want to know the truth, if I wanted to pick this house up off its foundation, rotate it 45 degrees and put it back down, I could do that. I know how to do that. There's nothing you could break that I can't fix. That, that's what God's done for us in Jesus. There's nothing in your life, nothing, your good things or your bad things, either one, that he can't fix, that he can't cover over, that he can't draw near to you with. And in the same way, there's nothing that you're going to mess up or break by sharing your faith out loud. So here's the challenge this morning as we talk about this zero lost people. I bet you, you may be sitting on it in your chairs, but if you could locate this little sticker, if you're in the room, if you're online, um, we'll have to get, you'll have to get one of these um, a different way, like next time you're here. But these little stickers, they just say one life on it. And a question we've asked is just, who is your one life? Because a lot of times I think we get so scared. We're like, man, we, th- we think what it means to share our faith is I got to go out there and I've got to like tell everybody, you know, about Jesus. And really, you know, the story we just read this morning, it's about one guy, Peter, being sent to, to one other person. That's what God does so many times. So the question is, who is your one life? Who is the one person in your relational world who is close to you but is far from God? Who does God want to expand your vision for? Who does he want to highlight for you? For each and every one of us, maybe it's, maybe it's a family member, maybe it's a friend, maybe it's a coworker. But, but I want you to take this sticker. For some of you right now, even as I'm saying this, somebody is in your mind. Somebody is coming to mind. You know that's the person God is saying, I want you to go. I want you to be sent. I want you to share your faith with that person. And so all I'm asking you to do this morning is I, I just want to ask you, begin to pray for that person. Take this sticker, put it somewhere where you're going to see it. And every time you see it, begin to pray for that person. Begin to ask God to show you what it looks like to speak into their life. And God is going to do this. He's going to open up a door. You're going to know it when it happens because you're going to be praying for him, for this person. And you're going to be looking for it. And when God opens that door for you to speak, all you got to do is just share your story. You don't have to be some theological genius. You just got to share your story. Here's what God's done in my life. Here's what I've learned about what, it, what he's about. And just share. And it's amazing what God will do through that. What we, what we just read, Acts 10, is the beginning of the gospel going throughout the entire world. Cornelius was the first of the Gentiles. So who's your one life? If you don't know the name of the person, if you don't have a name, just take the sticker with you, put it somewhere, and just begin to pray and say, God, would you show me who you're sending me to? That's all we're doing this morning. We're just beginning to live our faith out loud. Would you pray with me? So Jesus, this sounds like such a challenging thing. And yet it's something that has been the call of discipleship from the very, very beginning. God, there's nothing more powerful that happens in our lives when we begin to just step out in faith and have a, just develop your heart for someone else. So God, would you, I just pray right now, God, would you just give us a burden in this room? Would you give us a burden for lost people? Would you give New Life Church a burden for lost people in Wayland? Would you give each and every single one of us as individuals a burden for one person, Jesus, just one person who doesn't know you? And God, we just begin to to ask that you would open doors 
so that the gospel can go forth, so that we can share your love with others. Um, God, if we're not looking for it, if we're not thinking about it, it's probably, we're not going to be aware of it when it happens. So would you just remind us again of what you want to do, not only in us, Jesus, that you you love us so much and you want to reconcile us, but what you want to do through us as your church, as your people. And we ask God, would you send us? Here am I, send me. Would you send us into the world, God? We say yes. We ask you you to just speak and work through us in mighty ways so that people can come into your, your kingdom. We ask all this in Jesus' name. And everybody said...